0: everybody to another episode of Bullseye Nuclear. And today we are continuing our discussion on addiction and families. And we have such a special treat for you guys today. And that is Coral Shepard. She is the vice president and the other founder of Empowered to Change. And you guys need to understand that when you see Coral, you see us together, you're just going to get whatever's true. You're going to just get a real a real picture, whatever that looks like. Isn't that right? Yeah. So we <laughs> are going to discuss addiction in families and just a short recap. We want to talk about, there was the Kramer sisters we had on. We also had on uh, Matthew Jenkins talking about fentanyl in the real pandemic. Mm-hmm. And as we continue, we want to just kind of switch gears a little bit To our listeners, and give you guys something else to think about when we're talking about addiction and families. Addiction is not all about, always about drugs and alcohol. It looks so different. Addiction can look like uh, food addictions, pornography. Uh, toxic relationships. So when we're talking about addiction and families, we are kind of opening it up so that it's not just substance abuse. It's not just alcoholism. And so we are going to just share about our lived experiences and maybe even just lead up to where our passion is and how Empowered to Change became to be. So here we go. Welcome, Coral.
1: Thank you. I was going to say that years ago when uh, addiction was identified as a mental health disorder or a quote unquote disease um, in the diagnostic statistics manual where, um, you know, you can classify someone as having a disorder, it was only related to substance use. Hmm. And it was for many years that it was only substance use. And I don't know exactly when, but I know it finally evolved to Encompassing many things that control an individual that you don't have control of, but it actually controls you because it is more than just substances that that can ruin and affect your life.
0: Yes, and that's a good point because in my lived experiences, I come, my background is I come from, you know, a churchy kind of a background. I come from many generations of uh, church going people. Mm-hmm. we just want to do good for goodness sake right mm-hmm. and the idea that addiction doesn't penetrate the church or doesn't penetrate the wonderful families that look like they have it all together right uh, we didn't we look like we had it all together but we didn't have it all together and when i if i can even since you bring a mental health piece to the table and your experiences um, in your master's degree. We're also talking about, some people are addicted to anger, are they not? I mean, is anger anger like somebody constantly exercising their anger in a certain way, is that not habit-forming, addictive? I
1: would say not the anger itself, but if they get to a point where there's a chemical release in their brain, and the dopamine and the serotonin and the um the chemical release that happens in fight or flight or when somebody's more prone to fight at the adrenaline that's released in the body uh they can become addicted to that my dad um when he was um a police officer uh he was uh often labeled as an adrenaline junkie
0: hmm tell me
1: about that it would be because he was fueled by adrenaline when it started of course um in vietnam and in the war you know that fight or flight and he was not a running guy he was a stand up and fight guy and of course you know special forces door gunner that kind of thing so it was always in a state of extreme emotional high alert intensity and that's chemical in Mm -hmm. the body and so there wasn't a substance use in that way but there was a need for speed a need for adrenaline and he was known for crashing cars he was known for getting involved in high speed pursuit chases because of the adrenaline and the release of hormones in his body
0: wow so addicted to the high of the adrenaline okay well that um Mm -hmm. speaks a lot we could we could do a whole series on that and Police officers right Right. and not saying that everyone has that but that is a real thing that you have experienced Mm -hmm. so tell me about that tell me what was what was it like in in your home growing up
1: well that's a loaded question Uh, because you know most people um, it's interesting you talk about um, family right and church and Um, when you were talking, I was like, wow, so it's that um, the plastic face of perfection, Mm. and everything's okay that most people want to display. But behind that is often some sort of what i would call a malformity in the family some sort of dysfunction in the family that they just don't want people to see and so my dad was an amazing cop he was a really good cop and i always want to honor that that i remember riding in the cop car with him and he it was snow outside and he would take the guy who was known as the the city drunk and he instead of taking him to jail he would go put him up in a hotel you know so he would be warm for the mm-hmm. night you know he would do a lot of good for his community but the ptsd Um, from Vietnam and the things that he experienced, um, he was not mentally well because of those things. And there was a lot of violence in our home. There was a lot of trauma. But I bring that up because there's a part of my family that kind of twinges when I want to share my story and my lived experience, because Mm -hmm. that means talking about where some of those roots came from. Which resulted from childhood trauma, like the Kramers that we talked about. Yes. You know, their lived experience and the trauma in the household and their father and the way that their father behaved. Well, you know, my father walking the house with a loaded gun, screaming at the Viet Cong in the middle of the night, and you don't touch him because if you touch him, then what will happen? Hmm. You know, um, seeing him put a gun in my mom's mouth in the middle of the night and he's dead asleep Um, because he and hearing my mom try calling his name to get him to come to. So that he would realize where he was and what he was actually doing. Mm -hmm. And my mother wasn't the enemy, quote unquote, right? Um, And that has a lot to do with how he was treated when he returned back to his country that he had just defended and was willing to lay his life down for. And, you know, being spat on and called a baby killer. And all of those things, they weren't treated well. Um, Not like they are now. You know, soldiers are praised today. Well, in Vietnam, soldiers were terrible people that shouldn't have been over there and it was taken out on them. So, but yeah, so the hiding behind what we don't want
0: people to know. Isn't that something? And you bring up so many things because we want our listeners to know that we want to honor our family. We want to honor our history. Listen, we love our families. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, some of the situations that I'm going to be talking about, um, my family members are no longer living on the earth you know they're they're with god i know they are and so or this particular person and we want to honor our families but yet how the question that we constantly find ourselves in is how do we honor our family Mm -hmm. honor the lived experience honor the truth Mm -hmm. and serve the community and help other people because our stories need to be told Mm -hmm. And that was so heavy on me when the Kramer sisters were just really transparent about what they endured and the substance abuse and the prison and how, you know, just how healthy they are now Mm -hmm. and what has come to fruition, right? But if we don't have enough courage to just tell what we know, tell what we've been through, knowing that we are not trying to dishonor any Mm -hmm. one person. Mm-hmm. but staying behind that plastic face, if you will, mm-hmm.
1: is not doing
0: anybody any favors. Well,
1: it breeds shame. Right. And it breeds secrecy. Right. And I, this weekend when we were out, um, when I was out on the um, outreach, mm-hmm. this woman had told me that um, she had been raped three days ago. Oh, my goodness. And I said to her, sweetheart, I would like you to call the police. Because what I want you to understand is the moment that you open your mouth, you start to get your power back.
0: Mm, that's good.
1: But as long as you sit in shame and in silence and wrapped up in fear, you left the power right. with the one who silenced you.
0: Right. And that that's exactly what we're pushing through here today is we want to um, push through that film that that falsehood of shame, and we want to talk about it. We want to talk about addiction and families, and I mm-hmm. appreciate that um, reminder of what you went through just this weekend and mm-hmm. how important it is that right. we have a voice. So how did, if we, if we go back to your dad and what he went through, mm-hmm. right, the trauma that mm-hmm. he went through right, overseas, um, the trauma unchecked, and what happened in your home, mm-hmm. that created trauma for you, mm-hmm. for your mom. How did that kind of manifest, if you will, in your life? Trauma, um, addiction,
1: mm-hmm. you know, things like that. I could probably tell you that as a little girl, um, I could I can look back at my life now and see where um, addiction uh manifested in the way of the significance of um, money Mm -hmm. and like stealing money out of my mom's purse and what did I steal it for I wanted to be like everybody else in my class and I wanted to buy a pencil at the school store or I wanted to buy books at the um the book club that was coming through because reading was my escape i used to get awards in school for reading 500 books because books were the only place that like i could get away from the reality of home you, mm. you know escaping into a good book you insert yourself there and so stealing fifty dollars out of my mom's purse because and i don't even know what the value of fifty dollars is but i'm going right. to school with when you it younger when right? i was younger and i was like in the third grade um because I, ha- I got to be like everybody else. It said that I had value. Then I got to get the things that I really wanted, which like a book to get out of where my head was. And so I can look at that behavior and see that it carried me through. Mm-hmm all the way. And the funny thing is, is that and I hope that somebody can relate to this. Uh, My dad, I I tell people that my dad before I was allowed to go out with my friends, my dad was like, Okay, well, before you can go out with your friends, you have to ride in the cop car with me one night. And so he picked the night full moon and police officers, if any police officers laughing, the full moons, just right all manner of chaos, are hopping, things are hopping. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw what drugs did that night substances. Okay. We had a guy in the back of the police car that we had to transport to an hour away mental health facility. And he is completely out of his mind on LSD, seeing helicopters and ninjas and um, all this stuff. And so I'm watching this whole night shift. And you're Uh, in high school by now? I'm 15 years old. Okay. And I'm seeing all this stuff that's going on and what substances do to people. And we get home at 6 o'clock in the morning and he he looks at me and he says, "Do do you want to use drugs? Hmm. And I said, no. And he goes, all right, you can go out with your friends. But this is the thing that's interesting. Yeah. I could go to parties with people. And I could see people smoking weed or drinking and maybe a line of cocaine. That's what I knew. I mean, I knew of other things because my dad was a narcotics officer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would look at them and I would say, I don't want to be like that because I like to be in control.
0: Hmm. And he did not know if I'm if I'm correct. He did not know that you stealing from your mother's purse years before then was had birthed something you didn't even know about.
1: No, right. But he didn't no. address that because he didn't know about it.
0: Mm-hmm. So well, he... no, I would
1: get my butt tore up like oh. for stealing money. <laughs> I mean, I was always taught like the value of right from wrong you don't lie you don't steal but when fear is the factor involved Mm. like you know tell me the truth and i'll go easier on you well i learned very early that it didn't matter if i lied or told the truth if i was still going to get 25 hits with the leather belt so if i lie And I get away from those hits with the leather belt out of fear of I know what that beating is going to happen and how bad it's going to feel. So you were addicted to lying Right, right. So like if I avoid that beating for an hour or a week or two weeks before he finds out what the truth is, then I've escaped it for that amount of time.
0: So what we're dealing with is we're dealing with trauma, we're dealing with things that happened in your home, Mm -hmm. and then trauma – acted out in anger and beatings hmm and then lying to so, avoid the trauma to avoid the trauma mm-hmm. and stealing to fill the void to fill
1: the void of wanting to be like everybody else and quote-unquote normal okay why can't I do like they do I, I didn't have overnights with friends I didn't spend the night with people they didn't spend the night with me we went to school we came home we didn't do after-school programs or sports or any of those things we were isolated you you go to school and you come home you go to church and you come home and that's all you do
0: now and if i ask you anything that you just don't want to answer just tell me to move on okay okay <laughs> just go move on move on child um but when you talk about the 20 lashings mm-hmm. how did that affect your everyday life how did that affect school how did that affect you because i really um, I know very much your story, mm-hmm. but I I believe that as we're discussing addiction in families, it's very important that it it comes in layers. There's mm-hmm. no, oh, well, addiction is A, B, C. This happened, D, E, F. And it right. all is so nicely in this bow that we're going to say, this is why I'm addicted to these things, mm-hmm. right? So you are just... Surviving watching things in your home, like your dad with a loaded gun. You're watching things that maybe you can't process, Mm -hmm. and then you're lying, you're stealing, and then you're getting your butt whooped. And I'm not talking a spanking. No, I would
1: get 25. I would get 25 hits with a leather belt until he couldn't count anymore. He didn't have any energy.
0: At elementary school age?
1: Oh, yeah, from probably four years old until I was 12 or 13. And then when you graduated at that age, he would just hit you in your face.
0: So how did that affect you, even as a little girl? And I know we're bouncing around a little bit, but I'm I'm trying to go, okay, what is this layers of foundation mm-hmm. um, that you didn't, of course, even see as a child, mm-hmm. but you're in elementary school? How did that affect your school, the oh. beatings and things? You
1: know, it's interesting because um, y- you said that um, you, my master's degree, um, when I was taking um, – marriage and family therapy and when i was taking childhood development classes um, i could read these books and i was like oh my gosh that explains me like wetting the bed until i was seven yeah and not sleeping at night and like i was a dnf student um i got held back in the fifth grade um i because that was where i could sleep Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. school was where i could sleep because that's where peace was was at school wow and not in some fit of rage where um i watched my dad rip the bar off the out of the living room because him and my mother had gotten into a fight and she comes outside and her shirt is ripped and her lip is busted um and we're standing out by the street at the street listening to them fight and we're out by the street and i don't know what they're fighting about but she comes outside and tells us to get in the car that he needs to cool off. And we come back home when we come back home and we walk inside, he's literally cleared every dish out of the cabinet. They're shattered on the floor. The bars ripped off the wall. And and so it's like, okay, so I know what that anger produces. Mm -hmm. Even 25 hits. Like I couldn't sit on my bottom at times because of blood blisters from the leather belt that, I, there we laugh now as kids, as adults, my sisters and I. But there are times where I would have Danny Miller, from the his name on the belt, oh, on your body, on my body, from the beating, from the beating, and I and I will say this, not in my father's defense, but out of four children, I was the strong willed.
0: Right, that doesn't surprise me. But <laughs> out of heard. the
1: four, I was the one that if you tell me no. I'm going to do it anyway. Right. I'm right. going to do it anyway. Tell me no and you're going to make me do it more. Mm-hmm. Like you said I can't do that. Mm, so I'm going to do it anyway. So you missed a lot of school, that which also
0: contributed to those mm-hmm. poor grades. Right. Why did you miss school?
1: Not being able to go to school because I couldn't sit on my bottom.
0: And, and your dad was known as a, a police officer. Oh, yeah. He
1: was a well-known police officer. So, so was there not was like I could their secrecy. I couldn't go to school and tell them what was happening in my home. I remember years later um, when I tried to get help and I knew that I was not well before my incarceration. I went to a counselor and I was talking to her about some of the things. And she said, I knew your dad very well. And I don't know that I would have believed if you would have said.
0: Really? Because everybody in the community knew him and would never have believed what was going on behind closed doors. Yeah, he
1: was a stand-up guy.
0: So would you say, Coral, that the secrecy is one of the foundational factors that contribute to addiction because the secrecy keeps everything unchecked no accountability right
1: well I don't know that it's a contributing factor to addiction but it's certainly a contributing factor to not wanting to share or to talk to people about what's happening to you because there are so many families that are told um you don't talk about what happens inside of our house what happens in, our, house home stays stays in, in our, our home stays in our home. Yeah. So that creates space that says, I can't tell anybody what's happening in our home. And then there's the element of would they even believe me? And then when you have to stay
0: home, you know, week after week, because you have marks on you, mm-hmm. then there's, you know, you're watching your parents say a lie, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, she's not feeling well. Mm-hmm. Or she's sick. hmm And then it's like this cycle of abuse and lying and stealing and just this ball of trauma.
1: And my mom, my mom would interfere. My mom would try. I I remember many times my mom coming in the room and going, Danny, that's enough. Hmm. Danny, that's enough. Right. Because he was the disciplinarian.
0: Which is a whole nother show, really. I want to do a series on discipline because Mm -hmm. disciplinarian and abuse are two completely different things, things. right? Correct. Okay. So we are at, you know, you're 15. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you're, You're experiencing what drugs and alcohol look like
1: because right, i've watched firsthand the bad side of it so what he did was he didn't want me to see the glorified side of a party and everybody having a good time he mm. wanted me to see okay. the the effects of it and what it does to somebody and how it can quote unquote ruin their life so that when i was encountered by those things then I had already seen that this is not really... That's not the direction you want to go. This is not fun, Mm -hmm. right? So I could go to that party uh, lying that I went to the party because you really weren't allowed to go out. So it would be a Mm -hmm. lie Mm -hmm. that what I was doing and where I was going, because if I said I was going out with my friends, he would say, no, you're going. You're going to stay home. So at what point did you learn that not telling the truth ever was the preferred course? I would say by the time I was five. Okay. Okay to the point where as an adult, I remember um, my first husband, um, he did not understand why I would lie whether or not I paid the electric bill. Hmm. And I didn't understand until later. It was an ingrained protection, afraid to say I made a mistake, afraid that I didn't do something that I said that I would do. Okay. Um, because disappointment with my dad meant rejection at sometimes to the point where i was not allowed to write his name on my school paperwork and if i did i would get spanked when i got home because i i had done something that disappointed him and i was no longer um his name Mm. i was no longer his child my sisters weren't my sisters don't speak to them you're not a part of this family we don't act that way we don't do those things
0: you know what just kind of dropped on me when we're talking about addiction In the fentanyl piece, Matthew talked about parents. He talked about the performance Mm -hmm. aspect. He talked about the rejection. He talked about how he just wanted um, to be accepted and he wanted his parents to accept him and he wanted, um, he needed to perform. Mm -hmm. So now we are talking about addiction in a completely different light not substances right but the underlying root causes seem to be similar mm-hmm. uh, w-
1: wanting to be loved wanting to be accepted um not proud, of, to the be proud of proud you. of being proud of me um being okay for who i was in the way of my stubbornness uh, um strong-willed determined um just being different than everybody else and not being the one who just wanted to go along and you know i'm not daddy's girl which is my older sister and she was named after him before she was even born when Mm. my mom says she remembers dancing one night at the at the vfw and he said we're gonna have a daughter and we're gonna name her this and this and it's gonna be after me and so you know there's the baby of the family that you know is just mom's apple of the eye because she's the baby and here so I you weren't the, the oldest or the baby. Right. Right. So who did I really belong to?
0: Hmm. That's really amazing. So where do you want to take this? Because I really want to honor the fact that your story is so, listen, So you know how I personally feel about you. I do. There's not anybody that I admire more from what life and statistics would say what you have been through. Right. And what st- stats would say, numbers would say, studies would say that you would come out a certain way. Right. And you blew them all out of the water, right? Mm-hmm. But you didn't get there overnight.
1: Oh, no. Um, so, it continued to, well, I was raped in a, I was raped at a party in high school.
0: So now enter in sexual trauma.
1: Mm-hmm. I was raped at a party in high school.
0: So we've had physical trauma. Mm-hmm.
1: A mental trauma, emotional, emotional. trauma, emotional, mm-hmm. and now Rejection. there's sexual trauma. Yeah, and um, of course, shame, hide, no voice. Right, can't tell anybody can't for tell anybody. sure. That's all and, secret, and no one don't
0: believe you anyway.
1: No, no, and would I just be somebody going to stir up trouble? Right, and then I would have to answer to my dad as to why I was even there to begin with. <laughs> there's that.
0: He didn't know you were even oh, at a party. No. no. Okay.
1: And so that would have been trouble all by itself. And then so i'm I'm raped. And then um, because of my grades and my inability to really concentrate, um, when I got to my senior year, I didn't have enough credits to graduate. And I was supposed to be the first person. I don't
0: think I knew this.
1: Yeah, I was supposed to be the first person in my family that graduated from high school. Okay, My mom. Has a GED. My dad did not graduate from high school.
0: Yes, I did know this. Yeah, my yes. dad didn't
1: graduate from high school because he went into Vietnam. And when he came out, they let him enroll in college. So he had a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Okay. Um, but my older sister did not graduate from high school. She has her GED now, but she dropped out at 16 due to divorce and family divorce and running away and not wanting to live with my dad. Right. And, um... So I was supposed to be the first person in our family, and I was going to make him proud. And I refused to not graduate because it was my senior year. And so I elected to not tell him that I would not be graduating, and I just decided to get a certificate of completion, which means I completed 12 years of school.
0: Did they show up at your graduation? Or? Oh, yeah. Oh, you you walked?
1: I walked with to get my certificate of completion because I graduated and with And they did not years. know that. Nope.
0: So that was – um, my deception, secret. Mm-hmm. your secret,
1: my secret, because I wanted him to be proud of me that I was the first in my family to graduate.
0: So you had some secrets already.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, um, I did walk and I did get into college cause I was taking college credits my junior year. So I was already pre-enrolled in college. Okay. Um, I was doing half days and, um, I had some, um, physical issues that happened, um, I was developing these uh, tumors that was causing reproductive surgeries out of nowhere. And um, I, my dad, I needed, that's a whole other thing. Sure. But um, I, at that time, I was managing, my dad had a nervous breakdown on my 15th birthday. Okay. Barricaded himself inside the police department and threatened to kill everybody. And so they forced him into retirement.
0: So public humiliation, yeah. So did they, that yeah. come into oh, play yeah. also?
1: Yeah, so they they forced him into retirement. And um, we bought property and moved out in the country. And so mm-hmm. there's some further isolation. And it, there was at one point he became, you know, unable to pay his own bills and things like that. So I started taking care of the household. So there's mm-hmm. that additional responsibility with myself and my little sister. And it was just us and him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, his mental breakdowns, his isolation. He would go like two weeks without speaking to us, without talking to us. And at that point, um, the addiction transferred from um, still still lying, still trying to survive, quote unquote, um, but not so much money anymore because I'm managing all the household money and his disability and making sure bills were paid. But now, um, every time he would fly into a fit of rage and I knew that he could become dangerous, I would get my little sister, and we would drive to the little country store, and we would buy all the little Debbie cakes that we would we could buy, the twenty five cents, and we would sit on the side of the road and eat them until we were sick.
0: Okay, so enter in food addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, yes, I can, I can tell my own story about that I was gonna too. Say, you have I something have too, I have some don't stories you? on that one, but I want to, and I was just like, oh gosh. There's so there's so many different ways we could go here right. because, um, I want to I want to honor your story and I want to honor the fact that, you know you are not that person anymore. No. So it's important that, as I'm thinking, we're either gonna switch sides yeah. and do and and have you know feature mm-hmm. my lived experience at a different time or we can feature it towards the end. But it's important that. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's important that we get to a place where there and and not going into all this detail because it's not that you're you know afraid to do that. It's um. It's the fact that you know how much in the time frame that we have, and how right. much you right. want to to share to uncover with addiction and families and where it left you where it led up to right and what i am at is okay so we are you're after you're after high school you're in college um are you married at this time i am
1: married well i got married because uh the doctor after my first surgery was like you're gonna have a problem trying to have children Mm -hmm. and i wanted to be i wanted to be a mom that was my goal in life was to be a mom and so you didn't have a career path you just wanted to be a mom i wanted to be a mom okay and i wanted to have kids Mm -hmm. and uh, the doctor was like you should get pregnant because you should start trying because it's going to be hard for you with only one ovary and so um we decided my high school sweetheart and i decided to go ahead and get married and so we were um We got married, and at that time, it was a lot of, um, it had shifted to more of a mental and not so much an addiction at that time. It was more mental, trying to figure out. um,
0: Right. All these things were laying uh, dormant. They
1: were were laying dormant for a couple of years until they got triggered.
0: Yes. And what triggered that? I don't want to go... I mean, you—you you already shared that you um, were incarcerated, so we—we we understand that. But what triggered, what triggered the going off the deep end? If you—if you, if you want to share that. No,
1: yeah, I think I started to um, spiral. There's a lot of haze, like there's a lot of blurriness. Um, most people that have any form of addiction, that it actually consumes them would tell you that there's a lot of time in their life where there's blocks that you don't really remember. It's very blurry. And that was certainly a time in my life, but I would say um, probably by the second surgery. Mm-hmm. And then my uh, older sister was like on her fourth child and okay. gonna have her fourth child. And at that point it was... All you wanted to do was be a mom. All I wanted to do was be a mom. and. I don't think I'm ever going to be a mom, and my sister's having her fourth child, and why am I the one who has these reproductive issues? And why is this happening to me? and the all the unresolved issues mm-hmm. So then um, I transfer addiction to a sexual addiction. Okay. And then, but I'm also multifaceted in the way of lying to my first husband about whether bills are paid, bouncing checks, closing out bank accounts because I can't manage the money and the money can't be managed because I'm just blowing it. I'm out of control at that point. Mm -hmm. And, um the sexual addiction kicks in at that point, And then the food addiction kicks back in mm-hmm. at that point. So I've got multiple things going on at that time. And then my dad died. Right. And that was the catalyst that really took me out. Yeah. All the unresolved issues.
0: So if we can, let's just kind of jump to... It came to a head when you were incarcerated for a first time offense, nonviolent offense.
1: Nonviolent offender.
0: Nonviolent offender dealing with theft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you certainly weren't gonna use drugs, you weren't gonna drink. You've already been right. schooled on that.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Well, and I would say it came to a head before that because I remember there were times where I would be driving down the road on my way to cash a check. Mm-hmm. And crying and begging God to make it stop because I couldn't control it. I didn't want to do it, but I could not make it stop. See, that cry is the same for anyone in any form of addiction. It, totally is. it totally I cannot is. make this stop. God, please make it stop. I, I mm-hmm. can't not go here. And, and yes.
0: And, and yet I still go. Yes. And that is true for um, a food addiction. That is true for anorexia. That is true for bulimia. That's true for um, fentanyl, subs- fentanyl, heroin, Coca- cocaine, drinking, alcoholism. Alcohol. Yeah, yes. It's the same. I want to stop. I can't stop. Take this away from me, please. Mm-hmm.
1: As you're doing, as you're in route, as you're in, as you're in route, as you're doing it, the shame, the despair. The the, the isolation the isolation the secrecy. Uh, when I got arrested, my family had no idea, and I was living a double life. They had no idea who that person was that got arrested because I was really good at pretending. Yeah, right. Really good at pretending. That plastic face. The plastic right? face. Yes. So, but but it had started. I knew I needed help, mm-hmm. and I had tried to kill myself. Like was Baker acted. There's a whole stuff there, right? right. So, right. Um, But I knew, and I knew getting arrested was the only opportunity that I had. Wouldn't
0: you say that when you finally got to a place in in the county, the local jail, where you said, I'm done with this? Mm -hmm. Right. I can't tell not one more lie. Tell me about that. Tell our listeners about that moment where you
1: decided to break up with lies if you would or divorce lying it was actually uh, in pims when i was so yeah pinellas county y'all <laughs> that are interested um when i was in the mental health um the the days that you're there being evaluated um I, I realized that i had to do some drastic things if i needed if i wanted freedom okay and that meant the truth hmm Truth is a
0: drastic thing,
1: isn't truth it? Truth is a drastic, it will rattle yeah. everything that you think you know that has become your identity. That's good. But I knew I had to take drastic measures mm-hmm. and that was truth. And it started with calling the police and saying, when I got out, I know you're looking for me and this is where you can find me. Mm. And because I was on the run yeah, and I was afraid and they found me and took me to the police station, and I wrote a written confession because it was the truth.
0: And your attorney I,
1: didn't want you to do that, right? Oh, I didn't have an attorney at the time, but after I got one, my family got one. They were He was like, I don't know what you want me to do with this. Like, you wrote all of this down, and I'm like, yeah, because it's the truth. Mm. I can't even go to court and say I'm innocent because I am not. I am guilty. Like, I can't form my mouth for one more lie because I did that. Mm-hmm. And I need to be in the truth because the truth was what was going to set me free from the life of lies. That's powerful. And so
0: when you were in front of the judge, what what happened there?
1: When I finally after um, about, I think it was about maybe 10 months, mm-hmm. um, I did what was called an open plea um, for me and my faith. Um, it was Jesus. I had I got saved Um When I was 21, two years before my dad's accident, okay, and um, I just said, all right, you're going to do whatever it takes, and I give you permission to do whatever it takes, and um, I was praying, and it wasn't, I I, I just really, um, I was going to use a very strong word, I have a hard time with people who judge people. My mama used to say, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Mm. And so when I hear people that talk about jailhouse religion Mm. or people that found God in jail as if where they found God in their brokenness is better than somebody's brokenness of jail. That's good. Because it's the quiet place where you can hear from him. It's the quiet place Mm. where he goes, oh, come here. I've longed for you. I've loved you all the while. Come here. And it was in the quiet place that I could reconnect with the savior of my soul, Mm -hmm. the one who made me and loved me and created my um, resiliency, not stubbornness, but my resiliency. He made that with a purpose and Mm -hmm. um, lots of praying and refusing to form my mouth to a lie um, threw myself on the mercy of the court, did an open plea, knew that I could face 42 years in prison. Because the theft was a lot. It was. It was it a was. lot. I mean, it's public record. I have a, it's a first degree grand theft of um, $100,000 or more. And um, I knew that that's what God was telling me to do. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a letter to my family and I wrote a letter to the victims and I apologized. And I remember thanking the judge uh, because what he was about to do was give me a gift that I had never known and it was about to find out who I really was because I was walking in truth and I spoke truth and I lived in truth. And so all that would lead me was who was I really. Right. And so, not every, not not everybody else's idea. So this was what, 15 years ago? No, Are we 20. 20 years ago?
0: 23. 23 years ago. Mm-hmm. And what did that judge do? So here's somebody that is open plea admitting to guilt throwing yourself at the mercy and he wouldn't he wouldn't
1: listen my attorney tried to get him um, i had a mental health evaluation i was diagnosed with all of these mental health disorder binging without purging uh ptsd uh, borderline personality disorder okay um there were all these uh mental health disorders and the judge would not even listen um because i wanted help I wanted help. And he said, you'll get all the help you need in the Department of Corrections. And he... (sighs) Like, that's going to really help Right, right. And so um, he sentenced me to five years in prison, followed by 10 years of probation, followed by $195,000 in restitution. And he said to me, I will see to it that you are ruined for the rest of your life.
0: Okay. So let's... I have to pause there for just a second. We have somebody in the judicial system speaking to somebody that has had multiple traumas a victim of child abuse sexual mm-hmm. abuse multiple things A mm-hmm. mental health evaluation shows mm-hmm. that those diagnosis right not a violent criminal Not nobody else was harmed. I mean, because the only person
1: I was hurt, I would hurt with myself. I would sit in a corner and pound my head with my fist in fits of rage because I didn't know what to do with it. I would pull my hair out, I would self harm, but hurt no one else. So, we have a
0: judge that literally looks you in the eye because of theft. And I'm not, nobody is, no, I'm not downplaying, nobody's downplaying anything. I mean, if you, if you, if anybody really knows Coral, you'll know. Um, that she takes full responsibility and second chances, redemption, reconciliation, mm-hmm. all of these things is what she lives out in her own life every single day. But when we have a judge mm-hmm. saying, I will see to it that you are ruined,
1: ruined for the rest of your life. I will, because those are the last words that I heard, and I don't even remember. Um, All I remember in that courtroom was walking to get my fingerprints. I don't remember how I made it back to bird Jail. You don't even have recollection. No, I remember. You kind of like blacked that out. I just was, once he read my sentence, I don't even remember. I remember walking over to give my fingerprints and my DNA, and I don't remember from that point to how I ended up And I mean, psychology would tell you that's disassociation, Mm. but, um, how I ended up back at Falkenberg jail in the holding cell with, with the, with the guard going, what happened in court? So you're
0: now facing, I can't even imagine you're facing five years done. You won't see the light of day for five years. They already have a date. I won't see freedom,
1: yeah. They give you. When you get to prison, they give you. Not um, the light of day, but freedom. Yeah, Yeah. you won't. I wouldn't see freedom. I wouldn't see my family. I um, had no um, idea. You know, when I was in the county jail, everybody was like, oh, prison's so much better. You'll be so much better off there. And within the first two weeks of being there, I was like, can I just go back to the county jail? Because Mm -hmm. prison is not what you said it was going to be. And they didn't make it out to be a fairy tale, but they said it was easier than the county. But within two weeks of being there, you see a classification officer and they give you your date that you get to go home on good behavior. Mm
0: -hmm. So you
1: know that date, it's written on a piece of paper.
0: But it's what, four and a half years out or something? Yeah. So you can't even wrap your head around that?
1: No, No, I remember going back to the dorm and sitting on my bed and looking at that piece of paper and i re- I wanted to die what i had just seen in two weeks i had no concept of how i was going to survive four and a half years and i wanted to die and i sat there and contemplated how i could do it mm-hmm. because how am i going to survive after what i've just seen right the way that guards were treating women, the things that they would say, the, um, the way that guards were having sex with women, the, the, the um, guards watching you in the shower, and the inmates fighting with one another, and just the things that go on inside of an institution, and, and I'm going to do four years here, Wow, four and a half years here.
0: Right. And truly, I hope that you come back when we do our segments on the prison system because we can we really need to delve into that right um so you are here you got truth yes and now the healing begins in the most uncommon places like you you've seen a lot you've seen and endured a lot behind as you
1: would say the razor wire right but you also found it was the place that i had first experienced peace in my life it was where i found true freedom yeah so can you tell me tell our listeners just a little bit about that because that's part of the healing journey from addiction right It, it see for me it was faith through christ it was knowing that i was redeemed and i think i've shared with people that have a hard time believing in their identity Um, and who god says they are i would write on a piece of paper that i would carry around in my pocket um, either my dress pocket or my pant pocket that said i know whose i am and what he says about me and when a guard called me a nasty name or was cussing at me because i stepped outside of the yellow line i would grab that piece of paper and i knew what i had written on it because i knew what his word said about me and what he said about me Hmm. and so I just took every opportunity, every class, I read every book, I, I took every opportunity to grow and to get healing. And I did see a counselor while I was in the institution uh, for three years. Mm. I saw a counselor and I worked through a lot of trauma there. Um, but that was the place that I first ever experienced peace. And you, as a miracle, right, you were transferred over to the chapel, to the chapel i when i was in the county i would say god i know i'm going to prison because i knew i was going right. and i would say i just want to be with you i want to spend all my time with you i, I just want to be with you and within two weeks of being there um, i met the chaplain and she said she had a dream about me and she was waiting for me
0: wow. and
1: um, i spent my 14 months at one institution working in the chaplain's office and spent all my time in the chapel which nobody ever did. Which gets nobody ever did. Do. I had a classification officer that called me in to give me my job duty. And she said, I don't know how you got this and who you know. And me, I'm going, <laughs> I don't know anybody. So the only person I know is God. And only he could have done that. Right. Amen. And she was like, if you mess this up, I'll have you pushing lawnmowers for the rest of your sentence. And I was like. Okay. So <laughs> right. Okay. So I spent that time with the Lord and just letting him do what lots of time on the altar crying, laying on my face. Wow. Um just allowing journaling and the word, um just allowing the word to renew my mind and to teach me and to show me and to recreate this person that he formed.
0: That is so good, and then you get out I, because I just have to, you know, I am such a sucker for happy endings. Yeah. But in this, and very much in this case, just God to do the miraculous, and yeah. to just every day continue in and through your life about what you're doing every day, right? And pouring into other people. And walking out your healing and, and just like, you know, the others on our, on our show said regarding addiction, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a healing road. We're not, nobody is saying, oh, we've arrived. I mean, if we're drawing breath, right. Right. We haven't arrived, arrived, but we, there is a place and, and if I would love for you to speak into this, but there is a place where you're on a broken road. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the thinking is, um, broken. The, the, I I use a smoke screen, right? And that's Mm kind of skewed and we're, we've been there on that broken road, but then there's this, um, crossover, right? And that's the healing road. And would you say that that crossover is really what surrender? I mean, what would you say that is? I don't want to put words in your mouth. I know my crossover was, you know, just surrendering to God, but to be the difference between the broken road and the healing road is what I'm,
1: I'm, kind of pressing into. Um, I I would say surrender, but I would say it's willingness, hmm. um, and maybe those two are the same for people. But if 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 well, I'm maybe sharing, it's not, if, you if know? I'm sharing from a faith perspective. I can give my life to Christ, and I can surrender my life. But am I willing to daily lay it down? That's good. Because there's a difference, and we miss transformation that God desires to do in us, if we're not willing to lay it down daily. Which is where He tells us to pick up our walk. And I'm not trying to turn this into a religious podcast, but this hey, is my experience. That's your story. This is my story. You have a and voice so and a lived experience. It's for me. It was every day. Yeah. It was an everyday willingness to know if I take this back, I know what I'm capable of doing, which is destruction. Okay. So if I don't take this back and I'm willing every day to lay it down and to continue to grow, then I'm only going to get better. And that's where the transition I think takes place is the willingness to learn and the willingness to be different and the willingness to take a look at yourself and the willingness to get feedback and the willingness to analyze and go i'm a firm believer i love cognitive behavioral therapy because it's the why Hmm. it's the understanding the why and learning to do something different and would you say that because you've learned you every day you your willingness
0: to lay the old down picking up the new would you say that the old is, like, dead? Would you say that? You know, yeah,
1: I love that uh, because this weekend when I was at the outreach, okay, I was telling some of the people that I spoke with, listen, the old me's dead. I don't visit her grave, yeah, and I don't mourn for her. And when people that know the old me see me, they go, oh, Coral, you must have me mistaken. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking to and you have a nice day because I don't know who they're talking to because I'm not her.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm not her. You're new. She's dead. Yeah.
1: And I'm new. I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. And every day I'm becoming someone new. And that is why you don't believe,
0: you personally don't believe once an addict, always an addict. You no. don't identify as that. You identify as
1: a new creation. Because... Someone who is living a life recovered. Okay. I'm not living a life of recovery. No. I am living a life recovered. I'm living a life redeemed. I am living um, in the power of Christ in me. And those things um, I I share with people in recovery. Um, If we live by the principle that Paul says Not all things are lawful for me. Well, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are permissible for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Or all things are permissible, but not not beneficial. Beneficial. Then we understand
1: that just because I can does not mean that I should. Yes, yes. Yeah. Just because I can does not mean that I should. Mm -hmm. So if I understand those boundaries, then I understand the boundaries have fallen in pleasant places for me. And I get to receive the inheritance of the Lord because I trust the boundaries that he gave me.
0: That's good.
1: And then I trust wise counsel and I trust people in my life to be vulnerable and to be raw and to share what I'm going through and being willing, even if it sucks, being willing to do some self-reflection and go, okay, what were they talking about? What what did they see that even angry? What did they see that I don't see? That's not true. But then when I get quiet, I can go, all right, God, show me me. Hmm. Show me what they were talking about. Show me what they see so that i can continue to grow and i can continue to transform and get better and so the hope you
0: are a walking inspiration um not just for people like me Hmm. and me personally but everybody that you come in contact with because i don't know anybody who decided to discredit what a judge would say Hmm. And then you get out of prison. You're the only person I know that has gotten a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, degree, and you're working on your second master's. Yeah, I'm a few classes
1: shy of my second master's degree.
0: Is that in the divinity? Or yeah, is my that...
1: first master's is marriage and family therapy, and my mm-hmm. second master's is in divinity. And if you got a PhD, what would that be in? Probably um, human services, societal transformation.
0: Hmm. Because I know you have such passion mm-hmm. about um, you know, we hear these terms, and we' we'll just segue you guys, we can't go into it, but we'll segue into it at another time. You hear these terms like social justice, right, or like I don't even know what that means, but you hear things like um, prison reform, right, Second chances, right. Um, so many uh redemption what does redemption look like because i can talk about i've never been arrested and i've never been in a physical prison but i've been in many prisons in my life especially when i was growing up and didn't even know what that was freer in prison than i was in the free world right so Mm. it's like what in the world but i think it's so important that we just you know rip off this plastic whatever that is right Mm -hmm. and then we just go there because my story is so my listen my prison was in the churches
1: i'm going to interview you next
0: you can interview me next (laughs) we'll do that soon like right after this one so but my prison was in the churches and it it was a prison that was created um where i grew up Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about that but the freedom that you are walking in, mm-hmm. and what you bring to empower to change, yeah, is so unique. It is so unique, and it is. Um, we live in Florida, right? So we believe in second chances. Yes. We believe in redemption. We believe, yes. and we and Florida has a ways to go, right? We, we got a ways to go, um, but the freedom. That we do have an experience, especially in the last several years. We've been very grateful for our freedoms from lots of things. But we are unafraid Mm -hmm. to walk this out and to talk about addiction, where we came from, what we've been healed from, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: recovered from, Mm -hmm. and walking the healing road. So is there anything else? I just don't – I mean, there's so many things that we could – continue on talking about and I want to Um, but is there anything that you would like to say just to the listeners that maybe have a similar story maybe they have addiction um, to other things that we haven't even talked about yet is there anything that you want to impart as
1: we close I want you to have the last word I would say that the shame that you struggle with is the shackles that keep you. Hmm. That's good. And and the fear of what other people think. Right. Because that brings the shame of what if they know. And if you're really tired and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and you really know that there's got to be something else, then don't isolate. Reach out for help. Hmm. Reach out for help. And if you think that no one is going to listen or people are going to judge you, then I'm sure our contact information yes. is reach available. out to us. Reach out to mm-hmm. us and we'll talk. Let, let us talk to you. Let us encourage you. Um, there is hope. Yes. There is hope. There is hope. And I would say reach out uh, via email
0: um, only because we want to give everybody time and we want to address anything, but it's like a little crazy town right now but thank you for that and um, I know that we were gonna kind of talk about both of us but we will stay tuned because we will switch switch the hats and Cora will interview me and talk about the lived experiences uh, that I have had but I just didn't want to take the spotlight off of your incredible story and just the amazing
1: woman that you are. Well it's totally um as I said in my lived experience it's totally the redemptive glory of Christ and what he's capable of doing if we'll just let him in.
0: Yes. Well thank you. Thank, thank you. you for telling your story and it's just I'm so honored to get to be sitting right here and being a part of it. Thank you. So thank you guys and remember there is hope and we will see you next time here on Bullseye Nuclear are you feeling broken or lost are you struggling to find a community of like-minded women come join us on soul win shining our light Women's Inspiration Network. Soulwin women have come out victoriously from their dark places and now use their God-given gifts to shine their light to the whole world. Get your free 30-day trial today. Go to www.soulwin.tv to subscribe now.